For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. We believe that with smart marketing, you can compete with the largest players in your industry. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'm going to be joined by Dr. Robert Cialdini. And you might recognize the name Cialdini because he is literally perhaps the marketer who has had the most influence on most marketing in the modern era because he's the one that came up with phrases like social proof and scarcity and concepts that you're super, super familiar with. We're going to go deep today and you're going to find a lot of new science that I think will be absolutely fascinating for any marketer. And that science is persuasion science. So stick around. You're absolutely going to love it. By the way, I am at Stelzner on Instagram. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you do not miss any of our future content. We've got an amazing lineup coming your way. I've got a question for you. Did your business transition to e-commerce sales during the pandemic? Are you looking for an easier way to scale your e-commerce sales? If so, you should explore the Wix e-commerce platform. It's an omni-channel solution that manages all of your offline and online customer transactions in a single powerful dashboard. Now all your customer data, sales inventory, delivery and fulfillment, and marketing are powered by a single platform, the Wix e-commerce platform. From a single dashboard, you can manage your CRM, email marketing, SMS marketing, live chat, automation, all customer communications, and more. Plus, Facebook Ads by Wix leverages artificial intelligence to learn about your audience and then run and optimize your Instagram and Facebook ads for you. With this one feature alone, Wix e-commerce customers average a 1,000% return on ad spend and 40% have doubled their sales. Join more than 700,000 active Wix e-commerce stores. Here's your next step. Go to Wix.com slash e-commerce and get started creating your store. Again, Wix.com slash e-commerce. You support this podcast by checking out our sponsors. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Robert Cialdini. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you don't know who he is, you know his work. He's the author of Influence, The Psychology of Persuasion, New and Expanded. 
He's also the founder of Influence at Work, a company that provides corporate training focused on effective and ethical influence. Bob, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, Mike. Good to be with you. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned last time you were on the show, which I feel like was five years ago, we probably should mention some of the books that you've written. Can you just go ahead and like rattle off some of them? Because I think this particular book, Influence, has been around for like 25 years, right? Does that sound about right? Yes, but you're right that there are others. What we were talking about five years ago was the release of a book called Presuasion. What you do to get people to agree with your request before you make it, Mm. how you arrange for the mindset that people have before they encounter your message. So that is aligned with your message and has readied them for assent. There's another one called, yes, 50 scientifically proven ways to be effective and persuasive. That's a great book, too. I have all those books literally on my bookshelf right here. And there's probably more. There's also one called The Small Big. Oh. What are the smallest things you can do to change your persuasive approach that produce the biggest effects in your audience? So- Give people a little background on you if they don't know you. You were a professor, is that correct? Are you still a professor? I am called an emeritus professor. That means I retired. I still have an office at my university. I still go there to write. I still do some research, but I don't teach classes. I don't mentor graduate students, anything like that. So your book, Influence, has been the book that so many people in the world of persuasion have leveraged, especially marketers or anybody that's in sales. Why did you decide to come out with a new version of this book? Well, you know, I was torn, I have to say, between a couple of old adages, one of which says, don't fix what's not broken. And the book Influence was still selling at bestseller levels, but... There's another old adage that my grandfather used to favor. It says, if you want things to stay the same, things are going to have to change. Oh. I love that. Yeah. The wisdom of that. It says, you can't just rest on your haunches. The world is spinning by you if you take too long before you get back in the saddle and and start heading in the right direction for new insights, new perceptions, new ideas, new information. So is there dramatically more in this new book than the older version of the book? Because it's been a while, right? I mean, when was the last time you iterated this book? Yeah, it was 12 years. Wow. And there are 220 new pages. Wow. The biggest changes are, first of all, in those 12 years, the research and the information on persuasion science has grown by leaps and bounds. And that new information on how to hone and sharpen and enhance our effectiveness as persuaders deserved a place in the book. Secondly, the internet blossomed during those 12 years. And so now there are platforms for influence, social media, e-marketing, e-commerce, and so on, digital commerce that just didn't exist before, but the people who most effectively use those platforms have figured out ways to migrate the existing principles of influence onto their platforms so that they become more uh, effective as a consequence. I wanted to include a whole section. In fact, in every chapter, there are sections on on digital commerce. Mm. And then finally, there's a new principle. There used to be just six. 
I added one called Unity. I hope we can talk about it uh, during our time. Yeah, we're definitely going to get there for sure. Let's start with social proof. This is a concept that a lot of people in my industry use a lot, but maybe first you could define what it is and why it is important. Social proof refers to the tendency in all of us to follow what those around us are doing, especially if it's a lot of those around us. We tend to recognize, oh, this might be a good choice for us Mm. and uh, take a shortcut that way to decide on a good choice. And I think back in the day, you used to call it the click whirl kind of effect, right? Well, I don't know if this, if I'm off on this, but I'm going back to my college days when I read your book, but uh, we as humans tend to not want to rationalize very much, right? So if other people are doing it, it must be good. Is that kind of what the principle is here? That's the exactly it, an automatic response. We don't have to think about it. And if you take a look, for example, even species that have almost no cognitive capacity will show this same herding or flocking uh, response. Uh, Birds flock together, cattle herd, uh, social insects who have no brain capacity at all. They will swarm together. So just the cue that what others are doing around me is visible will be enough to cause people to follow that cue. It's fascinating from an ethical marketing perspective, right? Because obviously these concepts can be used for good or they can be used, obviously, to manipulate people. But we're going to, I think, presuppose that these concepts are being used for good. How can we as marketers leverage social proof? And do you have any new insights? Because you did mention there's a lot of new science that's come out in the last 12 years. Yeah. So let's take those questions one at a time. One way to leverage it, the easiest way is to point to the things we have that have already stood the test of time and are the most popular of the array of things that we can provide. We all have most popular models, most popular features, most popular payment plans for that matter. Mm. Simply telling people that they are most popular, that will be enough to move them. Here's a new piece of research, not even uh, published yet from McDonald's locations in Colombia and Brazil, where people, you know, usually go in, they buy their hamburgers and fries and, uh, you know, whatever they're looking for, breakfast, uh, but rarely do they buy dessert. Mm. Well, it turns out that there was a study done by my colleague, his name is Stephen Martin. It's uh, regrettable that I didn't do this. Steve did this. And What he did was to do an experiment in these studies. At McDonald's. He had people who were behind the counter after the order was taken, right, say the following to all of their customers. How about a dessert, right? Okay. And then half of them got one more sentence. The McFlurry is our visitor's favorite here. Huh. And McFlurry sales rose by 55%. What is the principle at play here? Social proof. If it's the most popular, it means everybody who is here at this location, right, choose this one or it's the most popular. They even doubled down on that same principle by then saying, let's say coconut is our visitor's favorite McFlurry topping. Hmm. And Mike, 
extra toppings rose by 48%. And that was a value added, that cost a little extra, I would imagine, right? So they made more money on that. Right, that cost a little extra. Things that people weren't even going to choose. But by telling them that it was the favorite, now there was a reason for choosing it that people didn't have before. Amazon does this very often. They, if you go on their site and they will have a variety of items in the category you're looking for, sometimes they'll give you favorites, our best selling product or service on some other topic huh. in some other area. And I find myself going there because I have a reason now to think about buying that thing I never thought before. Now, here's the newest research on all of this. A study done in Beijing, China, shows you the cross-cultural reach of this principle of social proof. Restaurant owners put a little asterisk next to certain items on the menu, and each one then became 13 to 20% more likely to be purchased. What did the asterisk stand for? It wasn't what we normally get uh, from menu items like, oh, this is a specialty of the house or this is the chef's selection for this evening. No, it just said, this is one of our most popular items. And each one became 13 to 20% more popular for its popularity. Fascinating. So I think about this applied in marketing in a non-physical setting. And I've been to a lot of software application websites where they have all these different plans. Right. And there'll be one with a box around it and it will say most popular. I think that's the exact same concept, isn't it? It's exactly. And it's brilliant and it's costless and it's ethical. You're just pointing to something people always use to counsel themselves correctly as to what is a good choice. Now, Here's the final feature of that Chinese restaurant study. If they looked at all the demographic factors associated with the uh, customers, the visitors to the restaurant, were they business travelers? Were they young? Were they old? Were they male? Were they female? This worked for all of them, Mm. that asterisk. But there was one group that it worked even more uh, effectively first-time visitors. That makes a lot of sense. Because what social proof does is reduces your uncertainty as to what you should do in this situation. And first-time visitors are the most uncertain. Are testimonials also considered social proof or is that something totally different? No, you're right. They are. But there are two kinds of testimonial. One is social proof. The other is authority. And that social proof is a lot of people just like you are testifying to this. So that's what you get on those star ratings, for example, right? Look, all the people who've bought this product or experienced this service or purchased this book, whatever the category is, look at all the people who have said, this is a good thing. Those testimonials, that's social proof. Oh, and by the way, there's a little trick in this. Do you know what the most successful star rating is to convert people from a prospect into a customer? It's not a five-point rating. It's 
a range between 4.2 and 4.7. Because they're skeptical if it's perfect? Exactly right. Fascinating. So don't worry if you got some three-star or two-star ratings. That gives people evidence that you're a credible You're a credible source of this information. The other kind of testimonial is, of course, the expert. But that also yields to social proof because the research shows that if you want an expert testimonial to be more effective, somebody who agrees that your product or service is great or uh, fits with your argument about why your product or service is great, you you provide that testimonial. If you want to enhance its effectiveness, you multiply it. You provide more than one expert testifier and you multiply the effect. So this is what we see when we go into a bookstore and we pick up a book and there's a famous person's uh, testimony on the front of the book, right? And then there's more on the back of the book. Is that kind of what we're talking about? Same concept? Someone recognizable? Exactly the same. (laughs) I've used it on the new one in myself. Yeah. Okay. So we've explored social proof. What I'm hearing you say is social proof makes it easy for a prospect or a customer to make a decision because they're going to go with what others are doing. Right. And if you can identify the most popular product in your mix, then you can increase the sales of that product by simply indicating it's the most popular. In addition, testimonies, if you can get more than one, can actually help as well. Right. Now, I guess the real question is, what about if we don't have any social proof, right? That's a great question. What if you're a startup? You don't have a lot of evidence uh, in terms of market share or sales at this point, or you have a new product. You know, you think it's a great one, but it's just new. So you can't point to social proof, right? What can you do? You've only got a few months, you know, under your belt. You can't compete with the people who uh, have more market share. It turns out there's some new research. My team has provided some of that research that shows if you don't have social proof, if you don't have evidence of great popularity or a large market share, right, but you do have a trend in that direction, people become significantly more likely to follow you, even if the trend isn't in the majority, even while you're still a minority. So Robert, can you give us an example of a trend just so people can wrap their mind around like how they might use something like this? Sure. Here's a study and then I'll I'll give you the, the results of the study and then give an implication for how it would work in business. We did a study where we asked people to read a newspaper article about the importance of conserving water in the home. And some of them just read that newspaper article about the importance. That's the control group. Another group read that 30% of homeowners do try to conserve water in the home, right? A third group read that two years ago, 20% did. Last year, it was 25%. This year, it's 30%. So it's the same 30%, right? Here's what happened. Those people who were just told 30% of homeowners uh, try to conserve, they actually now used more water because they could do the math. It meant 70% of people don't. Social proof said, don't care about this. But those people 
who saw that there was a trend to 30%. Now they use significantly less water. Ah, I think I understand. So what I'm hearing you say is if you can say that there's a growth of this much in the last year or something like that, right? Yeah. Rather than saying 30, only 30%, right? Because right. Then, then people are going to reverse engineer it. That means the majority don't, right? That's right. You never want to put yourself in the minority because you're battling social proof, which says don't go there. So from a marketing perspective, there's a lot of trends that go on in the world. For example, in my world, you know, you've got Facebook and Instagram, for example, and Instagram seems to be a platform that more and more marketers are flocking to. So if I was able to prove that with data, right? Like if I was able to say last year, there were this many advertisers on Instagram and this year there's this many, and it's a growth of X percent. Yep. And if I was somehow in the business of trying to persuade people to advertise on Instagram, then I would imagine that would be something that would be persuasive to them because they can kind of project growth. Or is it about projecting growth? Is that kind of what it is? Okay. That's a very perceptive point you've just read because when we looked at the research that I just told you about, those people who heard about the trend projected that it would be much greater into the future. Mm. So what you had now is not existing social proof that was working against you. You had future social proof that was working with you. It was the wind in your sails now. I think of cryptocurrency. I mean, it's almost impossible not to hear these days because everybody's talking about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and all this stuff. Yeah, It seems to be a big trend. And when things kind of become a big trend, I think a lot of these businesses pop up that claim that they're leveraging cryptocurrency. And even if they've never heard it before, it seems like they're able to get a lot of fuel behind them because they're, they're riding a bigger trend. Because it's a trend. Now, I'm going to suggest one thing for your listeners, right? To get the optimal impact of a trend, use three data points, not two. Oh. Don't say two years ago it was this and now it's this. Or six months ago it was this and now it's this. Say, look, six months ago it was 20. Three months ago it was 25. Now it's 30. Ah, I see. Because if you just give two points, that's just a difference. Could be six months ago it was 20. Three months ago it could have been 40. And now it's 30. So you, that's just a difference. So one data point is a statistic. Two data points, that's a difference. Three data points, that's a trend. Love it. Love it. So there's a lot of people that use the word trend because it's kind of, for lack of better words, a trendy word. For example, in the online world, you know, you can see things that are trending. For example, most popular searched queries on Google, for example. Right. And, and they'll show you kind of a, a line and they won't really, it's just a scale from zero to 100, for example, and they'll show you whether it's popular or not. But then you also have people who make acclamations, claims, right? This is popular now. So I guess what I'm asking you here is, is data more important than opinion when it comes to trends? Always. And again, if you can detail that climb in three data points, you win bigger than if you just say it's popular. Now, there's 
Another way you can just use language to make it work, and I heard you do it a couple of minutes ago. Okay. Which is to say, it is more and more popular. Ah. You see what you did with that? Yeah. So if it's more popular, that means then something earlier, right? A single data point. Now it's more popular. That's a second data point. And then you added more and more. That's three. Huh. Okay. I'm going to ask your listeners to do that. It's performing better and better. It's more and more popular. It's greater and greater market share. If you've got the data, present three data points. If not, you do it with more and more, better and better, greater and greater. Fascinating. So the idea is that that's kind of conjuring some sort of a visual inside the mind of the reader is what I'm hearing you say, or the, or the listener, right? Exactly right. So if you don't have social proof, leverage trends, and ideally it's data, but it doesn't sound like it has to be data from a known source. It could just be data, right? I mean, it could just be like our sales last month were X and the month before that was Y and now they're Z, you know what I mean? Or whatever. I mean, obviously I went out of order there, but the idea is any kind of data, whether it's your data or a third-party credible source data, from an analyst. Yes. It could also be drops in, for example, complaints or criticism or returns or something like that. You know, as long as it's a trend in the right direction. Perfect. That's where you want to be. And folks that are listening, this stuff we're talking about doesn't just apply to marketing. It also applies to persuading your boss. It also applies to persuading your spouse. It also applies to persuading your friends, right? I mean, these principles are not necessarily just business principles. Am I right? You're exactly right, because these are features of the human condition. This is how we decide how to reduce our uncertainty in any given situation. We look to see what those around us like us are doing or feeling or believing. So let's talk about scarcity. This is a fascinating one. First of all, maybe describe what scarcity is from your perspective and why it's so important. Of course, people try to seize the opportunities you offer them that are rare, scarce, or dwindling in availability. And there's a reason for that. And again, it's based in research um, because they're afraid of losing that opportunity. They're afraid of missing it. And research shows, in fact, it won the Nobel Prize for uh, Daniel Kahneman several years ago with his prospect theory, where he showed that the prospects of losing something are twice as powerful on human psychology than the prospects of gaining that very same thing. And what loss is, is the ultimate form of scarcity. It means I can't have it anymore, Mm. right? So people are always using this desire to get things that are rare or scarce or dwindling in, in availability to avoid the fear of missing out, FOMO, right? They're always using attraction and acquisition of scarce resources to avoid FOMO. This is probably why during COVID, uh, the rush on toilet paper, right? Because everybody 
it was out of stock and then they wanted it even more, right? Like crazy. People, in there, we went crazy as a species. Yeah. <laughs> and for hand It was sanitizer. the one thing. Yeah. That, and, that yeah. and wipes and hand sanitizer, right? I mean, yeah. but it, it, it just demonstrates exactly what you're talking about, right? This is a condition of being human. So how do we as marketers leverage scarcity in kind of a way that somehow can benefit our businesses? So let's take an example from, I used to do some uh, consulting for the Bose Acoustics Corporation, big, uh, successful audio manufacturer, and uh, they had a new product. It was called uh, the Bose Wave Music System. They were very proud of it because they were offering it with features that none of their competitors had, and they were pricing it very attractively. They wanted to essentially build a base of consumers that they could use to market subsequent new products. And they had an ad that had at the top of the ad the word new. And then there was a whole set of features, new uh, elegance, new simplicity, new effectiveness, and so on, a set of exemplars of all what was new there. They were very disappointed because they didn't get nearly the kind of movement that they wanted. They asked me to come in, our team, to come in and revamp the whole program, that whole ad, because they thought it was so disappointing. We looked at it and said, actually, your buyers want all that information. These aren't spur of the moment, spontaneous buyers. Bose buyers want that information, but here's what we're going to ask you to change. Only one thing about the ad. What it says is the top. Remove the word new and replace it with hear what you've been missing. Now those new features, the new elegance, the new simplicity, those are things to be lost. And sales rose by 45%. Hear what you've been missing. Now, this is fascinating. This isn't what I was expecting you to say. I thought you were going to say like limited supply or something. But hear what you've been missing. So hear what you've been missing. Like break this down. Why did that trigger something? It goes to the fear of loss. Hmm. It says, if you don't move in this direction, you forego these benefits. It's not just that you gain them. You know, if you say, oh, buy this and you'll get all of these benefits. Daniel Daniel Kahneman showed that's half as effective as saying, don't miss these benefits. Huh. Fascinating. That will be so advantageous to you and your experience loss doubles down on human motivation. So hear what you've been missing doesn't sound as harsh as saying you're missing out. No. Is there a subtlety in how we need to do this? Because I would imagine if we say it the wrong way, we could potentially have backlash, right? Absolutely. So you want to say to your customers, I would hate for you to miss the advantages of these special pricing deals or features or new uh, enhancements that we now have. Fascinating. Now, there's another side to scarcity, which is quantity, I would imagine, right? Or time. Am I correct or am I wrong? You're right in both of those cases. There are two types of appeals that have both been shown to be very powerful in moving people online in your direction. One is limited time offers 
this is only this price is only good for such and such period of time for this week or whatever it is. And then there's limited number offers. We only have this many at this price. You know who does this great? Like t-shirts, limited supply hotel rooms? Hotel rooms or yeah. air flight tickets and so on. Ah, yeah. They'll say, this room that you're looking at, we only have three of them left at this price. Yeah. And I have a contact at booking.com, which is a Netherlands-based such site. It's the biggest in the world. And when they started doing this, they started saying on the site, oh, there are only three or four of these, whatever the number was. Honestly, only three or four of these left at this price. And then they were showing how many other people were on the site now looking at that. Yeah, I have seen that. Yeah. So what's your take on that? Because I've tested that with limited results. Actually, I've seen the ones that show the people that bought it, but you're talking about something different. You're talking about active viewers of a limited supply product. Right. That's different. Yeah. Those who bought it, that's social proof. Right. We're talking about competitors. Ah. And if you have a limited number at that price, those competitors make you crazy to have it. Uh, so you're on a sales page. And there's only two left and it says five people are looking at this offer or something like that, right? So what booking.com found was when they instituted this, their salespeople called their technology people and said, hey, there's a problem with our website. We're now getting so many requests for purchases. This can't be real. It's more than we've ever gotten by a factor of three, right? That's cool. It wasn't a glitch. It was scarcity Ah. and competition for scarce resources. So that's like a doubling effect, it sounds like, right? Because the scarcity alone is powerful. But if you can also show others are considering it, it's almost like I've seen stuff like this on eBay, right? Where there's a bid, right? And there's X number of bidders, right? Or if you're at an auction, Right. right? It's the same concept, right? It's the same concept. When we are in competition for a scarce resource, we as a species go for it like crazy. Now that's limited supply. The time side of it, I want to talk about a little bit. Like, you know, we see a lot of people doing sales and I've also seen countdown timers. Do you think that, have you seen any research on whether a countdown timer works? Countdown timers work, but they don't work as well as limited numbers, Mm. right? Because they don't have competition involved. So look, You can decide whenever you want to decide. Nobody's going to come and take it from you. Right. So there was a study of 6,700 e-commerce websites where they did A-B testing of various kinds of factors that were on the site and looked to see which were the most powerful, right, in getting, turning prospects into converts, right? And Uh, They looked at 29 different factors. Some of them were economic, like, is there free delivery? Some of them were technological. Is there a search function on the site? Some of them were psychological. Was there a call to action? The ones that were at the top of the 29 were the principles of influence, psychological influence that we've been talking about. And the top one? was limited number. Limited number at this price. How do we functionally do something like 
So for example, I put on a conference called Social Media Marketing World, right? And we're probably because of COVID going to be capped at 5,000 people. So there's a true quantity limit, right? And I'm sure many other people are selling digital products, right? Where there isn't technically a cap. How would you structure something like this? I guess you would you would set up some sort of uh, once you sell this many, the price goes up kind of a thing? Or you get this added inducement for the first thousand people who sign up. What do you mean by inducement? So you give them an extra feature. Ah, I see what you're saying. For free. Got it. There you go. That's great. Yeah. So the first X to sign up, get Y. I love that. They get a copy of Cialdini's book. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Oh, by the way, I should tell you, after limited number, the next highest was social proof. Oh. Evidence that a lot of other people are doing this. Third, limited time. Fascinating. So most people, I don't think, are really leveraging the limited number. They're mostly doing limited time or they're using social proof. Right. Very interesting. You added a new section to your book and it's on unity. Why don't you explain what that is and maybe what did you discover? Why is it so important? Yes. Unity involves, again, the, the human tendency to say yes to a communicator if the recipient sees that communicator as sharing a social identity with them that is not just similar to them in tastes or preferences or styles or anything like that, but as one of them, somebody who shares a category membership with them that defines them. So it could be something like uh, place. We are of the same place, we're of the same neighborhood, or we're of the same community. Or it could be something like a political party affiliation or a religious affiliation, these kinds of things. But it can also be something like we're both fans of the same team. You know, a few weeks ago, I saw an article in the newspaper about celebrities whose favorite NFL football teams were the various, uh, you know, the the choices. Now, I grew up in Wisconsin, so my favorite football team in the NFL is the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, Packers. And I read that Justin Timberlake and Little Wayne were both fervent Packer fans. Ah. Mike, I immediately thought better of their music. Fascinating. Why is this? And? Yeah. I wanted them to do better in the future. Ah. I favored them because this is what unity does. By the way, I'm a Packers fan for the record, and I'm not actually joking. I really am. So I'm from Wisconsin. Right. Okay. Well, we're bonded. So, yeah. yeah. Right. Yep. I want better for your podcast as a result. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. If I say to myself, oh, Mike isn't just similar to me. He's one of us. He's not just similar to, he's one of us. Everything becomes easier inside the influence process. I trust you more. I believe you more. I want to cooperate with you more. And I say yes to you more. Okay. So now one of the questions is how in the world do we use something like this? Yes. Talk to me about that. That's the key question. I mean, you keep asking the right question here. Thank you. Mike, which is how do we implement this? (laughs) How do we get from this concept to some um, 
track, how do we get traction from it by what we say or do, right? And here's the one that's the best that I've ever seen for this, because what um, unity is, is creating a sense of partnership or togetherness with the other person. And here's what marketers have been doing brilliantly in this regard for almost a decade now. Co-creation, where they say to their customers, clients, or even prospects, help us forge the next version of our product or service. Mm. Right? Work with us as our partner co-create with us a better outcome for our market. Interesting. And that's been marvelously successful in producing loyalty and continued customership purchases. Yeah. So for example, if we truly do are about to launch a new product, how would we do something like this? Will we uh, ask people to purchase the product and be kind of the forerunners or the founding group or whatever and give us feedback? We can do that if we've got some sample models around. If we don't, we give them the current edition of what we have, the current version of what we, and we ask them, how could we improve this? What additions, what features could we append to this mix could we add to this mix of good features that would be most satisfying to you and the people like you so that we can provide you with a better product together with you? Now, here's the mistake that I've seen co-creators try to do when they ask for that input. They say, can you give us your opinion on this? And that's the mistake. Because when you ask people for their opinion, you get a critic. Ah, can we get feedback? Is that a better word? Turns out, if you ask not for their opinion or their feedback, but for their advice, Ooh. you get a partner. Fascinating. And as a consequence, they give you better feedback, more, more educational, informative feedback, and they become more committed to the resultant product. Fascinating. So if you already have an existing product, you could email all your customers and ask them, we would love your advice on how to improve the product, right? Right. Or if you just have an outline or let's say a blueprint of your product, that's what was done in one study where uh, researchers sent out on the internet a blueprint, a business plan for a new restaurant. It was called Splash. It was going to be a fast food restaurant, but with healthy food options. And they said to half of them, can you give us your opinion on this business plan? The other half, they said, can you give us your advice on this business plan? And then they got the same business plan. Those who got the request for advice gave better, more informative feedback and were more committed to visiting a splash restaurant in their neighborhood. Yeah, because they had skin in the game now, right? They were partners. There's an old saying, when we ask for advice, we're usually looking for an accomplice. <laughs> well, here's what research shows. If you get the advice, you get the accomplice. 
I have a question related to the earlier part of Unity, which is when you can send out identifiers that somebody identifies with, could we use that as well in our marketing or is that more used on a one-on-one kind of a basis instead of a one-to-many? Do you understand like, for example, you know, you, you're a Packers fan, right? Mm-hmm. Does it have a negative effect on everybody who doesn't like the Packers? Do you understand where I'm going yes, with that? Yes, I do. And and so that's why you need to segment your market. But what, what I'm going to suggest is something that I've seen being done very well by certain clothiers, for example, or holiday vacation uh, bookers. They will segment their reviews in terms of, oh, uh, let's say it's a vacation for uh, a romantic vacation, for a vacation with the kids, for uh, a business stopover and, and so on, right? And now people are getting social proof from people who are like them, of them. Fascinating. So there's unity with the people who are providing you the information. Very, very fascinating. We could go on for hours, Bob, but I know that they need to get your book. So why don't you tell everybody where, first of all, they can find your latest book, The Psychology of Persuasion, New and Expanded. And then also if they want to connect with you in any kind of way, I don't know if there's a website you want to send them to or a social platform of choice. Certainly. They can get the book. just came out last month and any of the large booksellers uh, online, Amazon, Barnes and Noble and so on. But if they wanted to get more information about what we provide, we do speaking and training, they can go to our website, influenceatwork.com. Dr. Robert Cialdini, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. We're better because of it. I enjoyed this, Mike. Hey, if you missed anything, and there's a good chance you did because we talked about a lot of amazing things, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 469. If you're new to this show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I am at Stelsner on Instagram. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelsner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.